Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So good to see everybody. And we are one church that meets in multiple locations. We have family right now meeting out at our Stone Canyon campus, as well as online viewers. So if you would here at North Carolina, put your hands together. Welcome them into our time of study here this morning. Well, if you're a sports guy like me, you know that we're getting ready to enter the time of year when baseball reigns supreme. The NBA Finals are almost over, and if you want to watch a sporting event pretty soon on TV, it's probably going to be a baseball game. And I have to admit, I like going to baseball games and watching more than I actually like watching them on TV, but I still enjoy baseball, especially when it's the only really sporting event on TV. In my family, we've already been to a couple of drillers games this season, and we have a blast every time we get a chance to go. But the other night, I was watching SportsCenter, seeing some highlights from some different games. They were showing some highlights uh, from the Royals game and the White Sox game that took place Tuesday night, and the highlight that they kept emphasizing had nothing to do with the game itself. It actually was replaying the ceremonial first pitch that took place, and I'm not sure if you saw this, but it's probably the worst first pitch I've ever seen in my life. Take a look at this clip real fast. And I'll try to explain what's going on. This woman, she works for the White Sox organization. She was picked to throw the first pitch. She throws it. She hits the cameraman. I mean, that's pretty bad. That's, the worst part was she went on to celebrate like she didn't apologize. Look at her. She runs over like she just threw a strike or something, you know. She's all excited. You'll see it again. Hits him dead on. Actually hits his camera. I love this other angle that they show. I mean, look at that, bam, right there. Yeah, she was just a bit outside. You know, baseball can be fun to watch when you're watching people that know what they're doing, <laughs> but it can also be fun to watch when you're looking at those who don't know what they're doing. I have a friend, he coaches Little League Baseball, and he loves to laugh at the boys that he coaches, especially when it's their first time playing. And he's told me stories before about different things that he's experienced, different things that he's witnessed. And let me just see, if you played baseball, do you, how many of you guys know what, oops, that's a, that was loud. How many of you guys know what this is right here? Anybody know what this is? It's called a donut. It's actually a weight that goes on your bat. It has nothing to do with sprinkles or icing or cream filling or anything like that. You actually put it on your bat. It weighs about a pound. And the whole point is when you stand up to take some practice swings where you get up to bat, you weigh your bat down so that when you actually get up to the plate, you take it off and it creates a faster swing. That's the whole point. And this friend of mine was saying that he'll watch little boys and they've seen their older brothers and professional players uh, put these donuts on their bats. And so they think if one works, then a bunch of them should be even better. And so they will weight their bat down to where they can barely even pick it up and they'll try to take some practice swings with it and they can barely even swing. And then they take off the weight to actually bat, and my friend says all that weight has just adversely affected their swing and they strike out. And as he was telling the story, I thought, you know, this describes life for a lot of people. A lot of people are weighed down with unnecessary, unhealthy weight, and it's keeping them from living the life that God wants them to live. They continue to strike out emotionally, relationally, socially, spiritually, even physically, and they wonder why, and it's because they've got all this unnecessary weight that doesn't have to be there, that just continues to adversely affect their lives. And that's why we're in this series right now called Let It Go, because the Bible teaches there are certain unnecessary weights that we need to let go, that we need to remove from our lives. That's why in Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So, so far in this series, we've been talking about some of these unnecessary weights that we need to remove from our lives. And in the first sermon in this series, 
we talked about fear and how fear can cripple us and paralyze our lives. We need to remove that from our lives. Last week, we, we talked about um, religious practices and how religion sometimes can keep us from having the relationship with God that He wants us to have. It can be an un- unnecessary weight. But today, we're going to look at another weight, a weight that probably when I first introduce it, you might think is not really that big of a deal, but in my opinion, it's a gateway weight. It's a weight that actually leads to so many other weights in life, and it's a pretty serious issue. It's probably one we've all dealt with at some time or another, and it's the weight of ego. See, I've I've struggled with this throughout my life, and I bet you have at times as well. And even though the Bible warns us not to be selfish, not to be self-centered, not to let our ego drive us, we've all let it happen at times. And what I've had to learn the hard way is that an unchecked ego will always lead to self-destructive behavior. Unchecked egos always lead to self-destructive behavior. And the Bible tells us this. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, Pride leads to destruction. A proud attitude brings ruin. I really like how one paraphrase captures Proverbs 16, 18. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And isn't that true? The Bible is warning us that you could be your own worst enemy. Me, I could be my own worst enemy. And if we let ego drive us, self-destruction is going to be inevitable. And so we're going to look at a guy in the Old Testament, a guy you may have heard of before, who was driven by ego. And this guy had tons of potential to do great things for God, and yet most of his life, he wasted that potential. His name, Samson. And his story is found in chapters 13 through 16 of the book of Judges. And we don't have time to look at every detail of his life. We don't have time to look at every verse in chapters 13 through 16 of Judges. But I want to give an overview of his life because this was a guy who let ego get the best of him. And honestly, sometimes we're given scripture passages and scripture examples to teach us what to do, but I think we're given the example of Samson to learn what not to do throughout life, how not to waste our lives. So Samson's story takes place during the Old Testament period known as the Judges. And this was a dark time in Israel's history, a dark time for the people of God. A good summary verse that describes the heart of the Israelites during this period of time is Judges 17, verse 6. And it says, all the people did whatever seemed right, in their own eyes. Some people could argue that that's our generation, our culture as well. Everybody just did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That was the culture of the judges, the people's heart at that time. And over and over again, the people forgot about God. They did whatever seemed right to them, whatever they wanted to do, and they rebelled against the Lord over and over again. And that's why seven different times in the book of Judges, this line is found. Again, the Israelites did evil. In the eyes of the Lord. Seven different times it's, it says that. Because over and over and over again, the people did whatever they thought was best rather than what God thought was best, and they ended up rebelling against God. And this led to all kinds of trouble. I mean, this led to decades and decades of self imposed oppression. And right in the middle of their desperation, right when things got as bad as they could possibly get, the people would then remember God, they would cry out to Him, and you know what God would do every single time? He would have compassion on them. He would show them mercy. 
and he would raise up a national leader to deliver them. These national leaders were called judges. So when you hear the term judge today, don't think of a person in a black robe holding a gavel. Think of a national leader. These are what the leaders of Israel were called before they had kings. So God would raise up this national leader known as a judge to rescue the people from whatever oppression they were experiencing, whatever trouble they were experiencing. And one of those judges was this guy named Samson. And out of all the judges that God ever raised up, out of all the judges that God ever set aside or appointed, Samson was probably the one who had the most potential for greatness. He probably had more potential than any other judge that God called. He was raised by godly parents in a godly home. He was loved from the time he was born. He was given supernatural strength by God. He was the strongest man who ever lived. This was a guy who could fight wild beasts, wild animals, one-on-one like lions, and he would win. This was a guy who could take on entire armies in one setting by himself and win. This was a guy who could tear down large temples and buildings with his bare hands. He was a man among men. I mean, he was the strongest guy who ever lived, and he got this supernatural strength from God. And I remember when I was a kid, and I would picture Samson, I would think of somebody, you know, big and muscular like Hulk Hogan or The Rock or somebody like that. You know, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nowadays, I just think of Matt Thomason. That's who comes to mind, but that's a joke, but love you, Matt. But... This guy had this supernatural strength, but most importantly, God was with him. God set Samson aside. God was willing to lead him and be with him in whatever he did. God wanted to use Samson to rescue his people. Samson took a Nazarite vow to God. And if you look back in Numbers chapter 6, it describes what a Nazarite vow entailed. But basically, this was a special vow you took in service to God. Now, not everyone took one of these vows. Just certain people did. But this was a special vow of dedication and commitment to service to God. And there were three outward signs that you would do to show that you were keeping this vow. The first sign was you would not cut your hair at all. The second sign of a Nazarite vow is that you wouldn't touch dead things. And the third sign was you would not drink alcohol. So you wouldn't cut your hair, no bick. You wouldn't uh, touch a dead body, no body. And you wouldn't drink alcohol, no booze, okay? So just remember that, no bick, no booze, no body, okay? That's easy for you to remember, I'm sure. But those were the three things that you would do. Now, again, these were not required of everyone. It was just required of those who were taking this special vow of commitment and service to God. And Samson took this vow. It's kind of like how some of us wear wedding bands or wedding rings. I mean, a ring doesn't actually make you married. You make a covenant with God before God. But a ring is an outward sign of this commitment that you've made to God and made to your spouse. Well, these were just outward signs that you were staying committed to your service to God. As long as Samson was walking with God... It was obvious that God's hand was on him. But here's the thing. If I could describe Samson's life, I would do it in four words. Strong guy, weak character. His life was more about wasted potential than anything else. He was a strong guy with weak character. And his weak character led to his downfall. Like I said, out of all the judges, no one had more enormous potential to do good than Samson. And yet, by the end of his life, Samson is alone, 
bald, blind, weak, and a prisoner to the enemy. Why? Samson may have been empowered by God, but he never fully surrendered to God. He never pursued a vibrant, intimate relationship with God. God wasn't a high priority in his life. God wasn't highly personal to him. And so, over time, Samson became his own God. He relied on himself more and more. And his selfish impulses started to guide his life, direct his life, rather than God. And we can see this happening early on in Samson's adulthood. See, at this point in history, the Israelites, they've been captured by this people group known as the Philistines. And so God raises up Samson to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And early on in Samson's adulthood, we find him in a Philistine village. And we would think he's there, what, scouting out the enemy or somehow he's going to rescue the people or do something to help God's people or give God glory. You know, that's what we would think, but that's not what Samson's doing. What he's doing is he's in this Philistine village to check out the girls. That's why he's there. He's checking out the, the girls of this village. And what's interesting is he eyes one who he thinks is just drop-dead gorgeous. He thinks she's hot. And so he immediately goes back to his parents who are back with the nation of Israel. And this is what he says to them, Judges 14, verse 2. A young Philistine woman in Tinma, that's the village, caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Now, do you see any hint towards selfishness here? It's not, hey, this is a girl that might be good for me, or this is a girl who honors God, or this is somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with. What he says is, I found a girl, she's hot, go get her for me, I want her. That's his attitude. And his parents, being godly people, his parents say, Samson, are you sure about this? I mean, this is a pagan woman. She worships false gods. Her people, they offer child sacrifices. She doesn't believe in your God. They're a very immoral people, and they're oppressing our people. You want to go marry a Philistine? Isn't there a girl among our people that you can marry who actually loves God? And that's why in Judges 14.3, they say, isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you can marry? They ask, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Again, who is Samson all about? Himself. I don't care that she doesn't know God. I don't care that she may have practiced immoral deeds with her people. I don't care if she worships false gods. She looks good. She's hot. And I want her. Get her for me. Samson is like some guys when they see a hot girl, they lose all their senses, kind of like this picture up on the screen. That's what Samson's like, you know. He sees this pretty girl and he loses all rational thought. You know, he can't think straight whatsoever. Now, what's interesting is the Bible goes on to tell us that God will actually use this marriage. God will use this in order to advance his purposes because God does that. He uses our mistakes to advance his purposes. God has a plan in all this that everybody else doesn't understand. But Samson doesn't chase after this girl because he thinks God has a plan. Samson is chasing after this girl because he wants what he wants and he wants it now and nobody better stand in his way. Samson was driven by ego and an unchecked ego leads to self-destructive behavior. Samson started to live by this mantra, I desire it, I deserve it, I can handle it. I desire it, I want it, 
I deserve it. Hey, I'm Samson. I've got all this strength. I'm set aside by God. I'm Samson. I deserve it. And I can handle it. I'm not weak. I'm not going to let this girl get the best of me. I can handle it. And when you start living by that mantra, you start living by that theme in life, your ego is getting the best of you. And those selfish and egotistical desires are just going to lead to trouble. And they didn't just lead to trouble for Samson. They ended up destroying his life. And that's why I think the story or the example of Samson is so important. Let's pause here just for a second before we go on. Because sometimes when we study examples from the Bible, like I said earlier, we study positive examples and we learn what we need to do in life. But sometimes we study bad examples in Scripture as a warning. And Samson is one of those warnings. Because like I said, no one had more enormous potential to do good for God than Samson. And yet over and over and over again in his life, he wasted that potential. And I bring that up because I believe there's something God wants you to know today, and it's this. You were created with amazing potential. God sees amazing potential in you. He created you with enormous potential to do good. And you may not see it right now, you may not recognize it right now, but it's true. God created you with special and unique gifts and abilities that He wants you to serve, use to serve Him. God sees amazing potential in you. And I know some people, they're not used to hearing that. In fact, they don't even believe it. Because I meet people all the time that, are, that act like, I will never measure up to where God can use me. God will never use somebody like me. But I want you to know, God sees potential in you. And when you humble yourself and actually surrender to His plan for your life, you won't waste that potential. But that potential will be unleashed. You'll see it in your life, and it will be unleashed on other people to help them as well. God will shape you into who you were created to be. And a lot will start to get right when it comes to your family life, your relationships, a lot will start to get right in your neighborhoods, in your places of work. But if we let ego drive us, then we'll live by the mantra, I desire it, I deserve it, I can handle it. And our cravings will control us, and self-destruction will be inevitable. And that's what happened to Samson. So let's get back to his story. So Samson, he rejects his parents' advice. He wants this girl. But in order for him to marry this girl, his parents have to go to her village and arrange for the marriage to take place. So they travel to Tinma, and on their way there, Samson decides to take a detour. They didn't have to go this way, but they went the way where you had to walk through the vineyards, through wine country. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us to travel through wine country, to travel through the vineyards. But remember, what's the vow that Samson took earlier? He took a natural Nazarite veil. And if you actually study what Numbers says, the book of Numbers says about a Nazarite veil, it's not just that you weren't to consume alcohol, you weren't supposed to be around alcohol. So why is Samson, who's made this special commitment to God, traveling through wine country? Wouldn't that be a temptation for him? Well, I don't think Samson cares at this point because ego is driving him, not God. And when you're driven by ego, flirting with sin becomes no big deal. When you're driven by ego, you think you can handle a little flirting with sin because you're strong enough that it won't get the best of you. You're arrogant enough to think you can handle it. You say, hey, I won't give in. 
I know where the line is, and I can get right up next to that line, and I don't have to cross it. I'm strong enough. I'll be fine. And so you start saying things like, hey, I'm just reconnecting with an old friend on social media. I mean, yeah, we used to date, and now we're both married to different people, but it's harmless. It's innocent. It's no big deal. Nothing's going to happen. I can get right up next to that line and be fine. Or maybe you say, hey, it's just texting. It's just texting. It's just words on a phone. Maybe a picture every now and then, but it's just texting. just Snapchat. I mean, nothing's ever going to happen. I'm not going to act on anything. Get right up next to that line. Or maybe it's, hey, I'm just hanging out with some friends. I'm not going to do what they're doing. I'm just going to be around them. I can handle it. I'm strong enough. I have a friend who often says the first step away from God is always a small one. And I've seen that to be true in the lives of other people. I've seen that to be true in my life as well. The first step away from God is always a small one. I mean, you may never plan to embezzle money from your work. But you cut one little corner here and a little corner there and pretty soon you're somewhere where you never thought you would be. You may have never planned to cheat on your spouse, but you took that extended lunch break with that co-worker of the opposite sex one day and then it led to another lunch and another lunch and then another meetup and pretty soon you're where you never thought you would be. You may have promised that you were going to keep yourself pure before marriage, that you weren't going to live with anybody, you weren't going to be sexually active before you got married. You may have made that promise in youth group years ago, but you let your guard down one one evening, and you're where you never thought you would be. You see, when we're focused on ourselves and not God, we'll flirt with sin because we believe we can handle it, And Samson will find himself back in wine country over and over again. It isn't a one-time thing. We see him back in the vineyards over and over and over again. You know, we tell ourselves, it'll just be that one time. But it never is. And what's interesting is Samson ends up crossing that line. See, Samson, right before his wedding, will throw himself a party. And as he throws this party... The Hebrew uses a unique Greek, I mean, a unique Hebrew word to describe that party, and the Hebrew word that's used there literally means a drunken feast. It was a party for the purpose of getting wasted. Samson throws that party. Samson thought he could handle flirting with sin, but he couldn't. But Samson's ego also led to some other destructive tendencies. On one occasion, while he's traveling through the vineyards, like I said, he was in the vineyards a lot, on one occasion when he's traveling through the vineyards, a lion attacks him. Now, I don't know why this lion attacked him. I don't think that was a common thing that happened. I think maybe God sent that lion to get him back on track. I don't know. But a lion attacks him, and so you know what happens? Judges 14, 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. We can all identify with that, right? We've all torn a young goat apart. We know exactly what that feels like, right? No, that's a weird statement. But anyway, the next line is what really stands out to me. But he told, Samson told, neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Why? Well, why weren't his parents with him at this point anyway? Because he's somewhere where he's not supposed to be, probably doing things he's not supposed to be doing. 
I mean, normally, I'm not normally, but I would think most guys, if we fought a lion head-to-head and won, we'd be telling everybody. It'd be all over social media. We'd be telling everybody because we would want to brag about that. I was introduced to a new sport. I use the air quotes for a reason. I was introduced to a new sport a little while ago called pickleball. Anybody heard of pickleball before? It's one of the fastest-growing sports in America. If you turn on ESPN at 3 a.m., you'll probably see a pickleball game. Uh, It's a big deal, especially among uh, some older folks, and it's played a lot of retirement communities, but I had somebody introduce it to me a while back. I played a game, didn't like it, didn't understand it, didn't like it all. I played again just a couple weeks ago, and I understood it more this time, and I won a pickleball match with my partner, and it was awesome, and I was on top of the world. I texted everybody I knew. I just won a pickleball match. Like, it was a huge deal. I texted Allison. I said, hey, I just won a pickleball, and she texted me. She said, what is pickleball? You know, she had no idea what that was. You need to check it out if you don't know. It can be fun, but you know, when we accomplish something, we want people to know about it. If I had just defeated a lion head to head, I would have told everybody about it. But Samson doesn't tell anybody. Why? Because he's where he's not supposed to be, probably doing things he's not supposed to be doing. Some time passes and Samson makes another trip through wine country. And on this next trip, he looks where, to the spot where he killed that lion and says he saw the carcass of the lion still laying there. Verses 8 through 9 of Judges 14, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. Here's the line. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Why not? Well, again, he's where he's not supposed to be, probably doing things he's not supposed to be doing. But remember his Nazarite vow. You're not supposed to consume alcohol. You're not supposed to do what else? Not supposed to touch dead things, a dead body. He had to touch the lion's carcass in order to get the honey out of there. That's why I didn't tell his parents where it came from. He's now broke two of the stipulations of his Nazarite vow. There's only one left. Don't cut your hair. It's the only one he hasn't broke yet. Samson, at this point... He knew he was doing wrong. That's why he didn't tell his parents about it. And what he should have done is owned his mistakes, gone to his parents, gone to a spiritual mentor, gone to a spiritual friend and said, hey, I need help. I've already broken two of the three stipulations of my Nazarite vow. I'm in trouble. I'm heading down a road. I don't need to be going down. I need some help. But Samson didn't do that. Instead, he just hid his weaknesses. And that's what happens. When you're driven by ego, you hide rather than seek help. Because you're all about image management. You're all about looking good. But here's the thing, God can't heal what you hide. It's only when we admit our own weaknesses that we can find strength. Some time ago, I realized that I was struggling with some jealousy, envy issues. And you guys know this is a transparent place. I don't stand up here and try to act like I have it all figured out, that I'm perfect. Some preachers do. That's not me. I try to be transparent with you. And some time ago, I was dealing with some jealousy, uh, envy issues. And I knew it, but I wanted to hide it. I didn't want anybody else to know that I was struggling with that. But it was eating at me. I mean, it was consuming me. And I started to realize how much it was affecting my life. And so I called together some of my closest friends. I got Allison. And I just admitted to them, hey, I'm really struggling with this stuff. And as soon as I admitted it, a weight was like lifted from my shoulders. It was as if it didn't have the same power over me that it once did. But then I told those people that I admitted this to, said, I want you guys to hold me accountable. You start to see me going down that road of jealousy or envy. You start to see me saying things that sound like that. I want you to call me out. I give you permission. I actually commission you to do this because I know I don't want to go down that road. 
If Samson would have done that at this point in his life, his life could have been so different. He would have saved himself a ton of heartache and pain, but he didn't. Instead, he just kept it to himself. That's what the Bible teaches in James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God can't heal but you hide. But Samson, he doesn't think he needs anyone. It's interesting, in Judges 14, verse 10, when it comes time for his wedding, his father-in-law has to go and hire some Philistine young men to serve as his groomsmen. What does that tell us? Samson has no friends. He has no close friends in life. How embarrassing that his father-in-law has to go and hire some strangers that Samson doesn't even know to stand up with him as his groomsmen. But that was Samson. He didn't think he needed anyone. And when you're driven by ego, you don't think you need anyone. You don't need anybody to hold you accountable. You don't need anybody to speak truth to you. You don't, you don't need anybody to support you. Oh, you'll use people. When you're driven by ego, you will use people all day long. But deep down, you don't feel like you really need them. Yet the Bible teaches us the opposite. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10 says, Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Samson, at this point in his life, has no one to hold him accountable, no one to speak truth to him, no one to wake him up and shake him when he needs it. And so his life just continues to go in a downward spiral. Let me give you a quick summary, some of the highlights or maybe low points. The rest of Samson's life, I don't have time to cover everything, but he ends up at this drunken feast that he throws before his wedding. He ends up uh, making a stupid wager with some of the Philistine guys there, and he loses that wager. And he gets so upset and so mad that he's been outwitted that instead of owning his mistake, he goes and he kills some innocent Philistine people to make up for it. And while he's off killing these innocent Philistines, uh, his father-in-law, our future father-in-law, thinks, hey, Samson's gone. He's mad at everybody. He's mad at our whole people group. So he's not going to come back and marry my daughter. So his future father-in-law law marries off his bride-to-be to someone else. Samson comes back from killing these Philistines and he's ticked that his bride has been given away to somebody else. So you know what he does? He goes off and he kills more people. Again, this isn't to honor God. This isn't to do anything to deliver uh, the Israelite people. This is just because Samson's ego has been hurt and really he's the source of his problems. But Samson then goes on after he retaliates and he sleeps with prostitutes and he lives for his own desires. He will toy around with the Philistines time and time again and he'll kill more and more of them again, not to honor God or not because God told him to, but just to stroke his own ego. And eventually he will reveal the secret of his supernatural strength to the woman he's living with, a woman named Delilah. Delilah wants to know why he has such strength. He said, well, you know, I've taken this Nazarite veil. If you cut my hair, that was the last of the three legs of his Nazarite veil. You cut my hair, my strength will be gone. He's asleep. Delilah cuts his hair, and then the Philistines come to attack him. And he's defeated the Philistines over and over and over again when they've come to attack him. But this time, he wakes up, and he doesn't have his strength anymore. And the Bible says in Judges 16, verse 20, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. For me, that's one of the scariest verses in all the Bible. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, I know in this context, it's talking about Samson's supernatural strength. But this can happen to us as well. You know, I said the first step away from God is a small one. You take that first step away, and you're not that far away from God. But you take another, and another, and another. 
And pretty soon, God's not around anymore. And you don't even realize that you've left him behind. You see, when you're driven by ego, God is always an afterthought. You take God for granted. You lose sight of how much you need him. You're not concerned about what he wants for your life. You're not concerned about what he loves. Instead, God just becomes a means to an end for you. That was Samson. Samson used God to get strength and to promote himself. God was just a means to an end. And sadly, a lot of people in our culture do the same thing. They use God as kind of a good luck charm that they keep around so that he will continue to bless them. Or maybe they're going through some trouble or trial in life and all of a sudden they start coming back to church because, hey, they need help or support during this time of trouble. And then once it passes, they're done with church. God is just a means to an end. And some people, they only follow God because they don't want to go to hell. That's the only reason. They don't necessarily live in an active relationship with him daily. They just want to get into heaven free card. And so they occasionally show up to church so that they can get into heaven. God is just a means to an end. And that was Samson. Samson did some great things. He defeated entire Philistine towns, and he used his strength in powerful ways. But he always did so for selfish reasons. He never did so to honor God or rescue God's people. Samson may have been empowered by God, but he never really surrendered to God. And one thing that we find all throughout the Bible, and I think is especially true in this example of Samson, is this. The greatness of a man, or a woman for that matter, is in direct proportion to the measure of his or her surrender. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See, when you surrender to God, your appetites are redirected. Your cravings begin to change, and you realize the amazing potential that God has placed within you. Instead of wasting your God-given potential, it is unleashed. And every time I think about that, I always think of a light bulb. I know in all of our homes, we have these, right? Typical light bulb. And when you screw it in properly and you turn on your light bulb, it'll light up an entire room. That's the purpose. That's the design of a light bulb. But what if you came over to my house and you noticed that all of my light bulbs were painted black? You'd probably think, what are you doing? What's the point of that? All that's doing is blocking what a light bulb is supposed to do and accomplish. It's just blocking the light. Why would you ever paint a light bulb black like that? And yet this is what a lot of people have done with their lives. God created them with a purpose, a purpose to live out. God created them to shine light, His light, to this dark world. And what are we doing? We're covering up our God-given potential with our egos and our selfish desires and appetites. And we're not shining bright like He designed us to. Instead, we're blocking what he's given us. And that was Samson's life. And finally, one day, at the very end of his life, he realizes this. He's taken captive by the Philistines. He's turned into a slave. They gouge out his eyes. He's blind. He's weak. And they bring Samson out when they throw big, huge parties to mock him, to make fun of him. And on one occasion, they're having this huge celebration, pagan celebration, and all of the Philistine rulers are there. And they bring Samson out and say, perform for us, Samson. This is the mighty Samson who killed thousands. And they're just making fun of him over and over again. And Samson is chained to a couple of the support pillars in this temple. And in that moment, Samson realizes what he's done. He realizes that he's wasted this life that God has given him. And in that moment, 
He asks for his strength back, but he doesn't ask for his strength back so that he could look good or so that he could be delivered. He asks for his strength back so that he could defeat the enemies of God's people and rescue the people. And in Judges 17, verse 28, Samson prays, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And God does remember Samson. His strength returns and Samson is able to bring down this entire temple on top of all the Philistine rulers and leaders. And Samson sacrifices himself in the process in order to give God's people victory. And all this happened because Samson finally let go of his eagle and said, God, I need you. And the fact that God gives Samson his strength back after all of his rebellion isn't a testimony of Samson's faith but it's a testimony of God's grace. Because here's the thing, our enemy loves to see strong men fall, but God loves to make fallen men strong. And that's what happens for Samson. He blew it. And if he would have just realized how he was wasting his life earlier, he could have done so many, so many other things for God and for God's people. But even at the very end of his life, as he turns to God, our God loves to make fallen men strong again. You see, a weak person, a person who lives by, is a person who lives by the mantra, I desire it, I deserve it, I can handle it. That's the pathway to weakness. I desire it, I deserve it, I can handle it. But true strength comes when we say, I desire God, I deserve nothing, I can't handle this life on my own. And when you get to that point when you say, I desire God above everything else, and I deserve nothing in this life. Everything I have is a gift from him. And I can't handle this life on my own. I need him every single day. When you get to that point and you live by that theme, that mantra, that's when you realize the amazing potential within you. That's when true strength comes. Guys, don't waste what God has given you. Let go of your ego and let God lead you. I can't describe, I can't tell you how strong you will feel when you finally let go of your ego and turn to God and say, God, I need you and I can't handle this life without you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had to open up your word and may we learn from the example of Samson not to be driven by our egos but to let you drive our lives. Father, may we come to the point where we say every single day that we only desire you and that we don't deserve anything and that we need you. We need you every single moment. Thank you so much for being a God of grace who gives us second chances. And if anybody in the room today or anybody listening at Stone Canyon or online needs that second chance, may they seek it today and find it in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.